Welcome, everybody. This is the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. Every week we bring you the stories of people who are making the world better locally, globally, and digitally. Our club, the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley, is one of over 30,000 clubs with over a million Rotarians and Rotaractors around the world, all of whom believe in service above self, that decision that we make to spend our time and energy improving the lives of others and enjoying the, the joy and meaning that, that comes from that. So our club and, and our, our partner clubs, such as the Rotary Club of Eugene Metropolitan, represented here today, are, are clubs that believe in the power of stories to inspire. We have shared loads of these over the past some odd eight years, whatever it may be, that we've been going. And, and occasionally we get one of those stories where I think, oh man, and this is, this is, this is one of them. So we are going to hear today about the Rainforest Connection. With us is Sarika Kanwalkar, who is in Pune, India. You can read her bio if you're on our YouTube page. Just pause and scroll down a little bit and read, read the story there. If you are on the SiliconValleyRotary.com page, then you can pause and scroll up a little. You can see it there. Regardless, loaded with good info. But I am so jazzed about this story that we're just going to move right to it. Sarika, welcome to the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. We are nothing but jazzed to have you with us. I hand the mic to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. And I hope I can live up to the expectations you built up for me. So I'm Sarika Conwilker, and I'm here to share stories about Earth, sound, and AI. I work as head of partnerships at Rainforest Connection. It is a conservation technology startup that uses sound and AI to monitor and protect the world's remaining species and ecosystems. We are undergoing a biodiversity crisis. Human activities like deforestation and climate change are making the planet uninhabitable. However, humans also have the capacity to identify and prevent threats to forests and understand patterns of biodiversity to help it thrive. Turn your volumes up, listen and watch to see how sound enables us to do just that. like mammals, amphibians, birds, bats, and insects all make sound, as well as chainsaws or gunshots used to remove trees or poach animals. Our work started in 2014 in an Indonesian rainforest, home to gibbons, one of the most threatened groups of primates in the world. 
Here, the sound of the gibbon song was being replaced by the sound of chainsaws. Rainforest Connection started because using audio recorders and AI algorithms to listen and automatically identify the sounds of chainsaws and then alert people in real time became a really accurate and efficient way to protect forests. Now, we've created an entire system system that produces real-time alerts of where and when chainsaws, gunshots, or vehicles are heard. The system consists of hardware, AI algorithms, software, and a phone app. We create guardians, seen in the photo from a bird's eye view, that are mini solar-powered computers connected to satellites or cell phone networks that continuously listen to the forest. When the AI algorithm detects a chainsaw, gunshot, or vehicle, the Guardian immediately sends alerts to our partners working on the ground, including local organizations, governments, and indigenous people. This threat detection system has been used across 25 countries to prevent deforestation and other threats like illegal mining or hunting. The sounds of threats are also forensic evidence and have been used in court to hold those responsible for illegal activity accountable. As we collected more and more recordings of threats in the forest, we were also recording the sounds of many animals whose identity could be distinguished by their vocalizations alone. Here we have a spectrogram, which is the way we visualize the sound with time on the x-axis and frequency on the y-axis. And here you can really see how sound can be distinguishable by species. We realized that we could also use our AI algorithms not only to detect threats, but also to identify the species that are making sounds. Let me tell you another story about gibbons. In Laos, the critically endangered northern white-cheeked gibbon, pictured here, only exists in healthy forests. That is, places with adequate tree cover and a variety and abundance of food. The presence of gibbons is indicative of healthy and thriving forest habitat. And this is true for biodiversity in general, which is a way to understand the health of an entire ecosystem. Last year, we made almost 200,000 one-minute recordings from forests in Laos, where we thought the northern white-cheeked gibbon might be. For biodiversity monitoring like this, we use offline recorders that store data in a microSD card. In the past, a person may have taken years to listen to all these recordings and identify when a gibbon was heard. We used what we learned about threat detection to harness the power of AI. We created an algorithm specifically made to identify given vocalizations. This algorithm means that in minutes, we can identify when and where a gibbon was from massive amounts of sound recordings. The audio recorders used to collect this data can stay in remote places, cover areas too large for any human to monitor, and collect large amounts of data that AI can help us analyze. We don't just create algorithms to detect gibbons in level. We have created algorithms to automatically detect over 3,000 species across the world. The algorithms we, cre we create are convolutional neural networks, or CNNs. 
These can be trained to automatically identify anywhere between one to hundreds of species. And this helps not only to understand animals, but to drive positive action. For example, in Puerto Rico, we have recorded sound at almost a thousand sites across the entire island over multiple years. We've created a CNN that detects 40 different species of birds and frogs, which help expedite the process of getting meaningful information from our recordings. We combine the species presence information with environmental and climatic data in ecological models. This includes multi-species Bayesian occupancy models, which can account for imperfect detections and results in a map showing the probability of occurrence across an entire landscape. In Puerto Rico, we found that many of the species we are tracking are moving to higher elevation habitats due to climate change. We also modeled species occupancy under different future climate scenarios and identified habitat that will be suitable for species in future climate conditions. Over 75% of this, what we call always suitable habitat, falls outside of the current network of protected areas. The government and our partners in this project are now using our insights to help protect that habitat. We currently have almost 100 active projects across 37 countries. Our impact on the ground is possible because we partner with governments, nonprofits, researchers, indigenous, and local communities. For each of our partners doing impactful work, we train them and build local capacity to continue the work long-term without us. We provide training on acoustic device deployment and acoustic analysis. The thing I love most about my job is learning from our partners. We work together to identify goals, ensure there is capacity and mechanisms for informing action with the results of our work, and find funding together. I am endlessly inspired by the people working to protect our planet all over the world. At Rainforest Connection, we have learned a lot about the power of sound combined with AI to detect threats to ecosystems and monitor biodiversity and ecosystem health. The final part of our work is about sharing what we have learned so that anyone, anywhere, can identify species within their recordings and examine trends in biodiversity and ecosystems. We have developed and host a software called Arbimon. It is our free online platform that offers a range of AI tools to enable users to store, manage, analyze, and use sound to drive positive change. Non-experts and people who don't know how to code have access to the power of sound combined with AI. The platform translates sound recordings into meaningful graphs and figures that are understandable to non-scientists, such as policymakers. Arbimon is used by thousands of people across 119 countries and now has almost 150 million one-minute recordings. It is the largest cloud-based collection and record of sounds on Earth. Arbimon users have completed over 1 billion analyses and identified almost 4,000 species. Rainforest Connection is currently working to harness this collection of acoustic data to produce a global map of biodiversity health. This can be used to raise awareness, 
hold governments and corporations accountable, identify priority conservation areas, evaluate current conservation strategies, and motivate meaningful action. This graph represents the general workflow of our work for biodiversity monitoring. With our partners, we identify study questions, design the survey, and deploy devices to collect acoustic data. The data is then stored in RBMON, where our team or other experts identify species from a subset of data. At this step, even people who don't directly partner with us have the tools available to them via RBMON to complete the next steps. We analyze the acoustic data using tools like audio event detection and clustering or pattern matching techniques, the results of which can be used to train a CNN. We then produce ecological insights from the acoustic data. We also have projects that combine species detections from acoustics, the most fundamental biodiversity data set, with species detections using other technologies like camera traps or environmental DNA methods. Our science team is now creating the best practices for this data integration and paving the way for holistic ecosystem monitoring. The diversity of life on Earth that enables our own survival is at risk, and a human-caused sixth mass extinction is not far away, if it's not already here. Humans have the ability to change this trajectory. At Rainforest Connection, we are using acoustic data and technology to document what could be lost forever, or if we act fast, what could be saved, and to enable impactful conservation action. Thank you. Excellent, Sarika. Thank you so much for that presentation. If you would, let's shift and introduce the people we have got on the recording today. So awesome. from the Rotary Youth Club of Silicon Valley, we have our president in Vancouver, Nick. We have our, our treasurer in Italy, Cecilia. We have our paella master in Walnut Creek, Shags. We have our, our, our Texas representative, Rory, in Houston. Uh, from our partner club, the Rotary Club of Eugene Metropolitan, we have a longtime friend of the club, Heather Edwards in Mexico. And I am in San Jose. My name is Russian. Sarika, so many cool things that you have brought up as a part of this. We are, we are already amassing questions. I'm nothing but excited about it. I'm going to let our president, Nick, ask the first one. So, Nick, go ahead with your question. Yeah, I'm trying to choose which one to ask first, and then I'll let other people ask, too. Uh, from a uh, getting, thinking about the volunteers that you have listening to this, seeing that I can download this on your website right now and, and help, how do you take that and, like, is it, is it, are they bringing, how are you finding them? How are you, how are, besides getting the word out like this? And thinking of Rotarians who are in unique locations who can also, or have unique knowledge, how do you get them in? And then also, how do you validate that they're doing the work correctly? Like, I'm like, I, I wouldn't know how to identify most species at all. So that's why I was kind of curious how they take that step. Yeah, good question. So there's kind of two different areas that we work, right? In partners and projects that we directly partner in where our science team is really a part of the end-to-end -end project. And then there's projects that we sort of host and make possible with RBMON, which is free for anybody anywhere in the world to use. So when it comes to our projects that we're directly a part of, um, usually our science team, we have a team of experts who are, we have one of the number one birders in Brazil on our team. 
who identify as species. And we have a big, both we use public and private reference data sets. So we know like what a species call of thousands of species are already. So even if our science team isn't like can't identify a species automatically, we have a library they can reference. And there are shockingly like a lot of people around the world who, uh, if you tap into those communities on the ground, there are naturalists and there are people who who do know this stuff. So basically, our team is really good at it. If they don't, if there isn't reference data or they don't know, uh, we have the sort of the workflows to network with the people who are on the ground and get their expertise to help us. Now, when it comes to the projects that are on RBMON, which are user generated, that really is is up to them. And, and, and it really is sort of up to their expertise on like how they're using our tools and everything. So, for example, pattern matching, I would say. So pattern matching, it's kind of if you saw the spectrogram that I that you saw in the presentation, right? Pattern matching is basically it's an algorithm. You can really show show the algorithm one example of this is what a sparrow sounds like, right? And then it goes through all of your recordings and gives you potential matches. And then what you do is you actually validate those matches that it gives you. So you can see the spectrograms. You can listen to those recordings that it's pulled out. And then you can actually say, yes, this is actually that species or no, this is not. And actually, that's the kind of data that then can feed into a convolutional neural network, right? Which also has to be trained on both um, false positive and false negative examples. So it kind of depends on like what kind of projects we're talking about, whether it's totally user generated or, or those that we're, we're a part of. But for example, like the global biodiversity health map that we're trying to create using all of our data, that is definitely one of the challenges we're having is we don't know how accurate user-identified species have been. So we're, we're currently trying to think about how to deal with that uncertainty. With regard to that, um, I, and, and this seems to be one of the general approaches of, of, of AI, whether it's large language models or anything else, if you have enough data then it would seem that mistakes regarding the identification of species, you know, ultimately, you know, kind of filter out. Is is that accurate? It it can be difficult, but really, actually, even the output of our CNNs are we always keep a human in the loop. So if the CNN is detecting, you know, like 500 vocalizations of a specific frog in Puerto Rico, our science team validates that and says, yes, there was actually a frog here. And just because it's really important with this kind of data to be basically a, as, as accurate as possible. So our accuracy usually runs like 97%. Nice. There's a couple of but questions it, about partnerships. Let's, uh, let's start with Cecilia. So this is a question. I love these presentations and yours is, what you're doing is amazing. But I always wonder... You know, how how do we get all these really fabulous organizations to come together to share among themselves so that the whole process can be made more efficient? Because the problem is not going to wait for us. And I'm not in any way being critical of what you have said, but it's just there's 
if there's an amazing uh, number of really good solutions being worked on out there, this is just one. And so, I mean, I don't know, have I expressed what I mean well enough for you to be able to answer? I think so. Well, you know, one of the things that attracted me to the organization was exactly how we work. So we're actually a completely remote organization. We have we have an f- expert field team who does go into the field to, let's say, install the real-time, the guardians, those, those real-time recorders, which does take a, a more skill than the offline recorders, which is really kind of a, a short training that you take and kind of a plug and play. Anyone can really deploy the offline recorders. But given that, like, the way we work is really partnering with, we're very collaborative. So we partner with kind of local organizations who, you know, maybe don't really have a lot of resource to put to marketing and kind of show the work that they're doing. We, but we also partner with like big international NGOs like WWF and the Nature Conservancy. So the way we work, I think, is it really is about what you're saying is, is really just creating the expertise within other organizations and within other communities to be able to use acoustics to monitor biodiversity. Just because we believe that it is one of the most cost effective and efficient and scalable ways to monitor biodiversity. So I'd like to think that that's that's one of the ways that we we work and, and create impact. But I think given just the emergence of the global biodiversity framework, um, I'm not sure if you are, are, are familiar with that. The United Nations basically just agreed on setting international targets for biodiversity. So now, like in the last six months, we're, it's the first time in my life that I've seen people come into the biodiversity conservation space. Uh, not only because, you know, we need all the hands on deck we can to like address this crisis, but because they actually think they can like make money <laughs> in this space. Right. It's kind of crazy. But so there are tons of startups. There are tons of people um, trying to do, you know, biodiversity monitoring, scalable, cost effective, transparently, all of this. Um, so, yeah, I think there there could be some more collaboration there. But that's sort of, I think that's going to drive innovation when it comes down to it. So it'll be a really interesting space to see how it grows in the next year or two. Thank you. So with regard to those partners, um, I am imagining and correct any, any characterization that I get wrong here, that Rainforest Connection has, has developed this technology in a way that has heightened the ability to do this, the species identification or detection is, might, might be the better word. But I can imagine these kinds of systems being used for other purposes, right? Perhaps even surveillance. Has there been any concern with, uh, with, with having developed your eco technology in such a way that other people are like, mm, we might use that for X, Y, or Z. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, definitely, it is a concern. I would say, on one hand, like we are in a good position to where we can pick and choose like who we partner with, and we make sure that the people that we're working with are are using it for good. And so, when, for example, when we work in urban spaces, that that is a sort of privacy issues come up. But we work around that by, you know, creating what we've done in the past is create like signage where there are recorders 
to tell people, hey, we are recording. But what we do is actually we filter out the frequencies of human noise and human conversations. So we tell them that we do that. Right. Um, But yeah, it is somewhat concerning. The technology could definitely be used in in bad ways, but I'd like to think we we don't encourage that. Uh, But yeah, for example, like for the threat detection work, a lot of like for profit companies are interested in uh, in our guardian technology and and that that system. But, you know, that that's just not an area of work that we prioritize ourselves. So we really haven't gone down that route, although it is a pretty efficient way to monitor any forest, whether you're growing that for a biodiversity or or for for profit. Um, so we kind of at least right now have have that ability to just pick and choose what what kind of projects and what kind of impact we want to make. That was good. We have another question from our president, Nick. Yeah, I, I guess I could go a couple different routes there. But like first is where is the data all residing? Is it all, you know, I mean, I know it's probably in the cloud somewhere, but like, is, how do you how do you control access to it? Is it something that uh, and, and kind of tying into that and thinking of all the, you know, evolution of companies like OpenAI, who obviously started with a very one track and are going for profit in the whole like for profit arm versus nonprofit. Do you, how are you engaging your partners? Where is the data sitting? How do you know they're safe? That kind of question. Yeah, no, great question. So yeah, all of the data is in the cloud, AWS cloud, and we give complete ownership to the our project partners, like whoever is like actually on the ground and kind of like driving this work and has most stake in the work. They have the decision on how shareable their data is. Now, one of the reasons we created RBMON is to increase collaboration between like researchers who are using acoustics, because in the past, like all of this rich acoustic data that can be used to answer so many different questions. Like you have researchers that are like just interested in amphibians, but they have amazing recorders years long, right? And you can do a lot of research on other animals. So all of that data previously has like been stored in hard drives and somebody's (laughs) dusty desk in the university. So one of the reasons we wanted to create RBMON is to increase collaboration when it comes to this data. But people do have the ability to make their all of their data. They can keep that totally private. They can keep it totally public. They can give access to on a user by user basis. And they can also sort of pick and choose like what kind of sensitive data to share or not to share. So like in Puerto Rico, we have detected a lot of critically endangered animals and even endangered animals. And we don't really want to share those locations with people. So that that data is private. Okay. As kind of a tie into that from the kind of hardware side, how do you, who, I guess, do you make the uh, monitoring hardware? Um, And and tie into this is that, I guess, kind of to Cecilia's point is that we love making connections and we learned, we we had another speaker who talked to us about conservation and uh, the desert tortoise and, and they created a company to help save that that animal and so like where does your hardware come from just do you guys make it or do you have someone out is it outsourced yeah so we do make our own threat detection real-time recorders the guardian those solar powered devices but you can kind of think when it comes to threat detection and biodiversity monitoring are although both are using sound and ai the approach to everything the hardware the approach to where you're putting these devices and how the 
data is actually being used. All of that is very different. So when it comes to the threat detection work, we create the guardians. But when it comes to offline hardware, which can be used for any biodiversity monitoring, we are what I like to say hardware agnostic. So there are plenty. Um, we there are you know three main companies that we kind of work with um, that are our favorite recorders. So we sort of like buy those in bulk and we do adapt to those devices, sort of providing different cases so that they last longer uh, or providing more long term batteries, sort of customize those to the project specifications. But yeah, we are, you know, people who record sounds on their phone, but they can even also um, use that sound for acoustics research. One more partner question before we begin to wind things down. In thinking about the ways that non-large scale, I guess that would be smaller scale, uh, partners work with Rainforest Connection, uh, is, is, there, uh, is there a set of programs you do where, where you say, you know, our, our guardian systems cost this much and, and we encourage, you know, clubs to, to help us sponsor these in these places? Are, are, there, are there programs like that that are designed to build a large network of smaller scale partnerships? Interesting. No, I think that's a good idea. Basically, our partnerships really work by, and actually, Nick, this is a question you'd ask too about how we get our partners. Really, at this point, since we've almost been working for a decade, a lot of the partners that we work with kind of come to us and say, hey, we have a biodiversity monitoring project or a threat detection project, and we want to work with you. So for larger NGOs, they might come with funding. With smaller ones, they we might have to find funding together. How we fund projects is on a project-by-project basis. So we kind of create the scope and, and plan out what exactly is needed to make an impact project happen. And then we either go to our corporate partner, apply to grants and foundational support uh, on a project-by-project basis. Our nonprofit does also accept um, donations as a 501c3 based in the U.S. But a large part of our support comes from these sort of project by project going and seeking out funding. Very, very cool. Well, absolutely wonderful info. I love this combination of protecting the planet and AI and all sorts of, of, of interesting technologies used for, for wonderful purposes. We're going to wind things down uh, and then we will hand it back to our speaker for a final word. After that, we will shut down the recording, but one of the benefits of being part of the recording is we get to keep talking to these interesting people. So that will be, a, that will be in our future. Too bad for you who are simply watching Google. Uh, thank you for joining us this week for the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. We, we are working to find ways to share stories that inspire and to do so on a regular basis. Every week we are posting these, and we hope that you will keep coming back for more of them. If you are joining us from the SiliconValleyRotary.com page, feel free to scroll down a little bit farther and let us know you were here. There is an attendance form. It just kind of allows us to understand the reach. We don't share your info with, with weird, spammy people, so all good there. Uh, a little farther down, you'll find our forum where you can comment on the things that you heard in this presentation or any other piece of our meeting. Uh, and that is one way in an online and asynchronous club we are able to share ideas with each other, so we hope you will do that. As we always like to do, we hand it back to our speaker for the final words. Rika, what would you like for people to have in mind as they finish watching the recording? Yeah, well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. 
to see how we tune into nature and learn the best from them. Uh, So if you want to learn more about our work, go to our website, rfcx.org, and sign up for our newsletter, look at our social media to really understand all of the impact we're making all over the world. Excellent. And those links are available on both our YouTube and our SiliconValleyRotary.com page. And we hope that you will join us again next week.